It's a great joy to be with you this morning. I had the privilege of being here in December, and I guess y'all look a little bit funnier than you did in December. All, all, how do you like being masked up? I, I tell you what I don't like is being masked up and going into the bank. Don't you feel weird about that? And everyone looks strange, like, masked up in a bank like that. Well, um, I want to thank you for being here in this building. I also want to welcome the several hundred or so that are joining us by some type of live stream today. Uh, Our church in First Baptist Church of Leesburg, Florida, where we've been serving for some 13 years now, is uh, we have three campuses and we have have a drive-in service and then kind of like this, a social distancing in-person service and a live stream service. And I... I have new appreciation for those who are watching online because uh, Susie and I have a, uh, we have, she only gave me five sons, by the way, isn't that, wasn't that just limiting of her, my goodness, but anyway, our four, out of five boys, the Lord seems to give us one preacher boy, and so our fourth born son is a ministerial student, and we have a, a kind of a, somewhat of a small uh, university service or a college age service and they've been meeting during this time of quarantine and uh, they've live streamed it for those who don't want to come and our college pastor asked my son if he would preach one night and I've heard him speak a few times and it's always kind of a joy to kind of sneak in the back of the room and just listen to him and we Susan decided we weren't gonna we weren't gonna invade his space so I we wanted to live stream him so I live streamed my son preaching and you know what it told me? It told me that live streaming is hard work because I got up and go to the bathroom. I went, I got hungry and thirsty. I went into the, to the fridge. I saw something I needed to do around the house. Anyway, so I hope you've got your snacks ready at home and you don't get up and do some chores like this poor uh, live streamer did. But I have new respect in how hard it is in your own home to sort of make it a place of worship. Our church has been studying the gospel of Luke for I don't know how long, for a long time. And recently I came upon this passage that we're studying today. We're in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Now some of you who have studied through Matthew will recognize uh, the similarity of this passage. You see, in Matthew 5 through 7, we refer to that as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Christ on a mountaintop just beautifully preach these the beatitudes and several powerful memorable illustrations in the gospel of luke the teachings from the sermon on the mount are cut up in different places and luke 6 is the main part of it and then also in our text here today in luke chapter 12 now i'm calling this message a having a heart of peace strangely enough the word peace is not found in our text but the concept of peace is found. Peace is, can, can be quite elusive these days, can't it? I mean, how many of you have turned on the nightly news or opened up the newspaper or crawled on Twitter or Facebook and are just filled to the brim with all kinds of peace? Anybody? That's, uh, that's the quickest way to a lack of peace ever, isn't it? We, we know what peace is. Mostly by the opposite description. We know what conflict feels like. We know what it means to be in turmoil. And peace is that inner sense of serenity and wholeness. 
and calmness that only Christ can give. Matter of fact, in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He doesn't give us the cheap stuff of somebody else's peace. He gives us his own personal peace. And I believe if we can uh, really apply these principles we're going to look at today, we will make progress by the grace of God in living a life of peace. I first of all want to read verses 22 through 26 of Luke chapter 12 where we find these words. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, or they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Classic words that we as God's people need to hear several times a week, most likely. And this morning, the first principle for us having a heart of peace is number one, if you're following me on an outline there, and it's this, give God your worry. Worry is a word that means to to be choked or to be strangled. It's a word that means the division of your mind. And Christ tells us quite simply in verse 22, do not worry. We're not to worry about our needs. We're not to worry about our future. Our mind is not to be divided. And it's easier said than done, isn't it? But the truth is, Sometimes it's hard to have, to know the difference between worry and understandable concern. Now, most of us know what the word chill means. My, uh, my, one of my son's friends was over our house one time, our, our second born, and he said about my son, he said, Luke is very good at chilling. <laughs> Matter of fact, he said he is quite respected in the chill community. Uh, he, he is an easygoing, mild-mannered person that apparently is gifted at chill, at just being easygoing. And if you, are, if you have the gift of chill, you look at these verses and you give a hearty amen. You're like, yeah, why is everybody so uptight all the time? And if you're a little bit high-strung, you look at these verses and go, oh, no. <laughs> you're like, when can I get to the next lesson? But the truth is, no matter how you're wired... All of us should be concerned. Some of you who are sort of outside of the chill community, you look at the chill community and say, do y'all ever get anything done? (laughs) Why don't you uh, quit singing Akuna Matata and, and actually care about something? Well, the truth is all of us should have concern. We should be concerned about Uh, the gospel we should be concerned about God's glory we should be concerned about being God honoring with what he's entrusted to us but worry is when you move from legitimate concern into taking matters in your own hands and the way you can tell the difference between concern and worry is by the presence of peace you can be deeply concerned about something yet God's peace is alive in you but when you're worried it's all on your shoulders. The first thing we just read about, about how to give our worry to God is A, under number one, and that's this, is to face the futility of worry. Most of us, when we 
realize we're doing something that has no value and is not getting us anywhere, we stop it. Recently, this week, Susie and I had our, uh, our third born was married a few weeks ago. And so we've basically taken the month of July off to vacation and to sort of look each other in the eye and breathe again, that kind of thing. And this last week, Susie and I were in Glorietta at the former Baptist Conference Center up there. Uh, we have a, my mentor and good friend, Pastor Mike Dean, has retired there. And so we stayed across the street from him at a sort of a pastor lodge and we just had a ball walking around the old trails there at Glorietta, sort of remembering uh, we used to go to conferences there and that kind of thing. And uh, we went to a scenic lookout in Glorietta across the mountains there. We went there two or three times on the last day. Uh, we, we got there. There's various ways to get to this lookout scene. And yeah, uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, Saturday morning. Yesterday morning, we were going to have one quick more hike before we came in town to see Dad and get ready for this. And I, as a man, told Susie I knew the right way to get there. And Susie felt differently about the right way to get to this scenic outlook. I don't have to finish the story, do I, on who was right? <laughs> we got... Finally, she said, okay, well, Cliff, where do you think it is? I said, it's this way. And we got to go in, and we, in order to get where I thought we needed to go, we had to off-road. And Mrs. Lee doesn't off-road, okay? <laughs> uh, basically, I, I said, you know what, Suze, I think you're right. It's this way. And guess what? We got there pretty soon. Um, it's hard for us to admit, maybe it's harder for men to admit, that we're doing something that has absolutely no value and is getting us nowhere. And that's what Jesus says in verse 25. It says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He's basically saying, own this, admit this. When you are divided in mind and soul, when anxiety creeps in on you, if you persist in that, you're doing something that has absolutely no value. Outside of the little lodge we're staying had some rocking chairs and we're you know, and, uh, and our 50, I'm 50, and Susie's in her early 50s, and we sat on in the rocking chair and read the Bible some. I felt like we were getting ready for later years, and someone has said, rocking chair, sitting in a rocking chair is good. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere, <laughs> and that's what worry is. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere, except only place it gets you is further away from God. And so if you would just own up the fact that I'm participating in something that's futile, you could make progress in giving your worry to God. Now a second principle is B on your outline, and that's this, to rest in God's commitment to you. Now we saw uh, an illustration from nature in verse 24 uh, when he says, consider the ravens. They don't sow, reap, store, and yet God cares for them. And then in verse 27 and through 29 in a moment we'll read, is another illustration about the lilies of the field. If you look at the birds of the air, you don't sense in them stress. They are without a care. We have a Christian school at our church, and um, several years ago on the last day of school, they asked me to come in and give a final kind of a, a summer challenge to the kids. I look back, and I'm not sure why they asked me that. Have you ever been on the last day of school and wanted to hear a sermon from the preacher? But anyway... We left the back door open for a little bit, uh, waiting for the kids to get in. And at that moment, a bird flew in our sanctuary. We have wide, wide ceilings. 
And as I'm preaching, the bird flew in. And I will tell you this, that, that sermon that was really already destined to go nowhere went even uh, less. It, it, it was even less effective. Why? Because every kid in the room was looking at the bird. And it did not fly out. It stayed there. And sometimes it would go here and go there. I, said, I basically said, thank you, let's bow together. Remember, let's just close this thing down. But I looked at the bird. I'm nervous. I'm going, where are my deacons when I need them right now? But I, I thought to myself, I'm stressed out, but that bird is having the time of his life. A bird is incomplete, doesn't have a care in this world. And, and that's what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, consider the lilies, how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. This is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, O oh you of little faith? Now, he gives the second illustration from nature and that is flowers. One great thing about New Mexico is the beautiful wild flowers that don't involve planting it doesn't involve watering God takes care of all that and the wild flowers in first century Palestine Christ compared them to the all the royal splendor of Solomon the beauty that God just says I'm giving you this you don't look at the lilies of the field and see stress you don't look at them and see that they are trying hard to grow. No, they're resting in the care of God. And the Lord is saying, do you know how I'm, I'm committed to you? He argues something from the lesser to the greater. By the way, if you're here today and don't think you have more value than plant life or animal life, you misunderstand the word of God. He is that committed to you. He has your back. He cares for every single thing about you. And he wants you to know that he is that committed to you. If God is for us, who can be against us? The apostle Paul said in Romans 8 verse 31, and God is pledging his power, his grace, his goodness to work on your behalf and is saying, you can quit worrying now because I'm here for you. I remember uh, um, they mentioned that I married a Hoffmantown girl here. I have this memory of proposing uh, in 1991 uh, to then Miss Susanna McCurdy. And then I had been listening. Some of you might remember the late Bible teacher from Dallas Theological Seminary, Howard Hendricks. And I was, I used to have, y'all remember what cassette tapes are? Anybody out there? I was uh, listening to some of his teachings on love and marriage and dating and things like that. He was really quite profound in that. And one of the things he said is that as you date, you want to prepare for a marriage of permanence. And so we encourage you to say to your spouse or your fiancé or whatever, remind each other that you are in this for life. And so I asked Mrs. Lee if she would marry me. She said yes. And then I distinctly remember her on that same night I proposed to her, and she said yes. I looked at her and said, by the way, Suze. And she said yes. I said, there is no way out. It almost made it seem like this young man that swept her off her feet had something up his sleeve. <laughs> Now that you said yes, guess what? You're stuck with me. But what I intended to say was we are in this for life. And there's something when you know that someone is committed to you, it gives you the grace to carry on. And what Christ wants us to be reminded of, he's there for the birds, he's there for the lilies, and he is even more so there for you. As we continue in this passage, we read verses 29 and 30, and it says, And do not set your heart on what? 
you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. Your Father knows that you need them. The third principle about giving your worry to God is found on C on your outline. It's simply this, replace worry with trusting your Father. It's easy to set our hearts on things of this world. When we do that, Christ says in verse 30 that the pagan world runs after these things. Do you realize when you're a worrier that you're acting like someone who doesn't know God. That's hard to hear, isn't it? But I come to you in love and tell you today, if you are filled with anxiety, you are living the life of someone that doesn't know God. And he wants you to not be a a functional atheist, but to be someone that banks their hope on him. uh, One of the sad things about pastoral ministry, as much as I enjoy it, is that sometimes you see some people that, are with you that end up being deceived by the world. And there was a, a young man that I still see around town that used to come to our church. And then after some time of him coming, being even involved, he began to study science and other arguments against the Bible and against God online from that great fountain of truth called the Internet. And he ended up saying that he didn't believe anymore. And it broke my heart because there was such potential. And I still think there's hope for him coming to believe. But when I see him around town, we're polite. And I try to encourage him and ask how he's doing. But I have never seen in him, since he made that declaration, exude any kind of peace. Why? Well, because life has no meaning anymore. Um, If he has a problem, it is all 100% on him. There is no higher power in his world, and he looks as though that is the case. I want you to know this morning that we as believers have an option about worry. You can either worry and act like someone that doesn't know God, or you can do something different, and that is called trusting your heavenly Father. I realize that the word Father means different things to different people. To some it has images of warmth, and to others it has Images of anything you want to, things you want to forget because your earthly father wasn't there for you. I want you to do your best by the grace of God to replace whatever image you have of father with the truth of of God, your father. The father that loves you. The father that is there for you. The father that desires your highest good. Charles Spurgeon told the story of a a ship almost sort of like the Titanic uh, that heard that they were um, about to engage and have a very difficult road ahead in the seas, so to speak, that there were uh, torrential uh, winds and storms coming and that they could be in trouble. And all of the passengers on board were worried and were talking amongst themselves. And as they're worrying, they, some of them look up and they see a boy smiling, skipping, jumping, singing. And one of the passengers who was worried thought to call out to the boy and said, Son, have you not heard the news? That our ship is going to face some torrential waters and we may not make it? And he said, oh, I've heard. Why are you you skipping and singing and dancing around? He goes, oh, well, because my father is the captain. And I know that he loves me. He's going to do everything he can to take care of us. (laughs) Don't you want to be that little boy in this world knowing that 
everything's going to be okay in the ultimate sense. It doesn't mean a trouble-free life by any means, but it means that we're ultimately under the care of our Heavenly Father that knows what we need when we need Him and the best way to bring it in our life. One author that I read on the Gospel of Luke talked about how he, his parents divorced when he was younger. He lived with his mom and his dad lived on the other side of town. He saw his father growing up, but not as often. And as he grew older in teenage years, he saw his dad less and less. But when he would see him, his father would usually say to him, Son, do you need anything? And as this man now who knows the Lord and serves the Lord reflected, he realized that when he was a teenager and his dad said, Son, do you need anything? It worked in him some anger and disillusionment. And the main reason he said it angered him is because he realized when his dad asked him that, his dad was confessing how little he knew of his own son's needs. When he came to know Christ, he said it was the greatest revelation because now I knew that I had a father that did know what I needed. He knew everything I could ever need and he knew the best way to bring it to me. And he knew that whatever my father would provide for me, it would be the right time and the right way. So I urge you today to take the deal offered. The deal that either you get to worry or you trust your father. I urge you today to replace worry with trusting your father. Now this powerful passage many of you might have memorized back in the day. Matthew 6, that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In verse 31 we sort of get the Luke version of that. It says, But seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. The all these things are likely a reference to our physical needs, the things we worry about. And then he says in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now verse 31 and 32 make up the second principle this morning about having a heart of peace. It's this, to realize all you have in Christ. In verse 31, when it says seek the kingdom, the word seek means to have some earnestness about you. We can't seek God without his power or enablement, but as he empowers us, we are to earnestly pursue God. And his kingdom is not referring to a, a geo, geographical territory, but it refers to the, the rule of God, the reign of God, how he will ultimately rule all things in, his, in the kingdom of heaven, but now he rules and reigns in our heart. And so seek the rule of God in every area of your life. And trust his provision. But notice in verse 32 it says, don't be afraid. Have you ever noticed how fear and worry are like first cousins? <laughs> that they feed off each other. When you are choked and, 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 and strangled in your heart and mind because you're not giving your concerns to God. Guess what happens? You start thinking of the worst possible scenario in every situation. That's what fear is. There's nothing rational about fear. We, um, when we were in Glorieta last week, a few of the neighbors would get together in the morning and talk about bear sightings. And every step I took for the whole week, I assumed a bear was coming out of the woods. Um, fear doesn't deal with reason and rationality. And so Jesus says, you really want to give your worries to the Lord, because if you don't, fear will fester and make them, will sort of fuel their flame. 
And notice what he calls believers. It's a group of believers he refers to, but he calls them little flock. This is the only time that phrase is used to describe believers. Do not be afraid, little flock. We, uh, in having our five kids, different. sometimes I would say to Susie, hey, I'm going to take the little guys with me and do this, and you watch the big guys, or something like that. And our third born in the middle wanted to be with the big guys. <laughs> Depending on his age, depending on his activity, he was with the little guys or the big guys. And he despised anyone calling him little. His name was Joe. Sometimes people called him Little Joe, as if we were watching Bonanza. <laughs> but he, when, sometimes he'd walk in a place and he would, if we're going somewhere, he would look someone in the eye and just say, I'm big. <laughs> and I think that's how we as believers, we want to act like we've got this. Like we are somebody. Like by the power of our ingenuity and strength that we have life under control. But we might as well be who we really are. And that is Christ's little flock. It's okay to admit who we are because that is who we are. He is our big, mighty, awesome shepherd. And we get to be his little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. Listen to this. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That word pleased, it means delighted in. It's a word that has a lot to do with what we describe happiness. That God delights to give us something. Are you a gift giver? Even if you don't necessarily get your love language or you're thriving from giving and receiving gifts, if you have picked out a good gift for somebody that you know they're going to like, it's hard not to get excited about it. Matter of fact, Susie and I... Um, uh, my father-in-law, Gene McCurdy, who's been to this church for years and years, he, he has an upcoming birthday in a couple of weeks. And um, we noticed something. When we would, whenever we talk about something or a city or a place, he always says, I'm going to look that up on the map. And then I got the saddest news a few weeks ago. He goes, Cliff, I've lost my map and my atlas. Now, you all have probably known there's not a run on maps uh, any time in recent days. <laughs> And I went on Amazon. I think I got the last atlas in the, in, the, in the Amazon store and the last folded map of the U.S. And last night we put it in a bag and Mrs. Lee gave it to Dad and he opened it up and saw this brand new atlas. And he was as stoked as any boy would be when he's getting a new bicycle. And I got to admit, I had a blast giving this guy a map. <laughs> now, have you ever given a gift grudgingly? You probably have. Maybe if you, I had this memory of buying shoes for the boys when they were little, but they didn't know what a swoosh was. They didn't know anything about high-priced athletic shoes. I would take them to the cheapest store in the mall and get them a pair of $15, $20 shoes, try to convince them that they were cool and they could run fast, and then we'd be fine. Two months later, we had to buy another pair, but it, it was okay. But all of a sudden, they started playing basketball. They discovered these shoes that were outlandish. And I tried to always buy the reasonable ones, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll buy those, I'll buy those. It wasn't very joyful giving. <laughs> and I want you to know, when Jesus says in verse 32, that your father has been pleased, it means that he loves you so much that he is thrilled in the depths of his soul to give you not just what to eat and what to wear and your, your physical needs. But as he meets every single one of your physical needs, 
he goes ahead and throws in the eternal kingdom of heaven. And he is thrilled to not just take care of your body, but to take care of your soul forever. He is pleased to give you the kingdom. And one of the ways that we can learn to have a heart of peace is just to stop and think about how much we have in Christ. Do you ever think about Ephesians 1, 3 that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are a sorry enough people that it doesn't take us long to be really upset at the smallest thing and start thinking about all that we don't have and all of the little trials that have come our way. But the Lord reminds us, you don't realize how good you have it. And if we're ever going to live lives of peace and exude the hope of Christ in this world, we have got to remember that he has been pleased and delighted to not just give us all things, but to give us the eternal kingdom of heaven as well. Now, the story right before this passage is the story about, well, it's referred to as the parable of the rich fool. Do you remember the rich person that was having so much success, which there was nothing wrong with that, with the success, but he built more and more barns to store more and more grain and has started saying things like this is gonna I'm gonna eat drink and be merry and I'm gonna be fine for the rest of my life and then in, in verse 20 or 21 of Luke 12 it says that that very night his life was demanded of him and he acted foolish and we were told to not be like that but to be rich toward God Jesus is basically getting back to that issue of materialism greed and worry sort of go together in some ways because greed basically says I'll never have enough and worry basically says I have to take care of everything myself they kind of go hand in hand and if you love the things of this world you will rarely have a heart of peace the more and more treasure we the more and more we view this world and the things and the possessions and our bank accounts as our hope the less peace we have why? Well, because, I mean, Ecclesiastes tells us when goods increase, so do those who want to consume them, like the IRS. <laughs> you can have a good day in the stock market, and the very next day you have a bad one. You can have a good crop, and the next year you have a bad one. You, you don't find peace by having things. Now, the last part of our passage today in verse 33 and 34 Jesus gives us the third way to have a heart of peace and number three on your outline is this we demonstrate freedom through generosity basically 33 and 34 talk about the management of stuff in your life when you are free from its rule and reign then you'll learn to walk in peace verse 33 says sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys now verse 33 is somewhat hard to interpret when it says sell your possessions and give to the poor as you read it just like that there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a qualifier but notice it doesn't say all your possessions basically when Christ says that if you treasure the stuff of earth It'll rob you of your real treasure. Christ is saying, listen, if you have a, a spirit and an attitude of generosity, if you hold things in your hand loosely rather than tightly, you're, you'll have his peace. 
And so anything that grips you, that holds you, that robs you of, your, of, this, of having Christ as your treasure, get rid of. That thing that becomes your hope and your life, don't let it grow and rule you. Dethrone it. And one of the ways we dethrone things is by living a life of radical generosity. That's the point of A under number three. Remember that you're blessed to be a blessing. There's something strange about us that thinks anytime we're blessed, we are blessed only for our enjoyment. We're, only, we're blessed so that we might sort of flaunt God's goodness in our own lives and it might, might pad our den more. But that's not Bible. The Bible is when you're blessed. Yes, there is a place for our enjoyment. We read that in 1 Timothy 6, 17. It's not wrong when our heart is right and when we're giving glory and thanks to God for us to enjoy what he's given to us. But ultimately, our blessing is so that we might be a blessing to others. And I just encourage you to look for ways to be generous. Matter of fact, I'm not sure what the testimony of Hoffmantown is, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is similar to many churches during this time of pandemic, many churches have seen generosity happen in their congregations through giving. Why? It's because I think we, things like this make us realize what's life about? It's not about having things and storing up stuff for ourselves. It's about the kingdom. And if we want our churches to remain bastions of global kingdom and expansion work and reaching our cities for Christ, we've got to support the work of God. And so I urge you to let generosity be something ever on your heart and mind during these days. Now, when it says provide purses for yourself, that's not the most manly of verses. Uh, it it uh, basically, when he uses the term purse, it, it has a reference to what goes inside one's wallet or purse or that which you carry. So provide money, means for yourself that will not wear out. Now, how do we do that? A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes Near and no moth destroys. It was uh, Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, that says, My money, my heart follows wherever I put my money. Have you noticed that? Where you place your money, your values, the center of your being follows it. And so there's an old statement that says you can't take it with you, referring to uh, we don't have, you don't have hearses that have U-hauls, that we're not buried with things. Um, But Alcorn says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. There's a story about a man that had this habit, which is in general a good habit, of taking $20 out of every paycheck he had and putting it in a box under his bed. And he had other ways of saving, but he, for years as a young man, he started putting $20 in a box under his bed, and he didn't touch it. And it grew, and so when he was uh, in his later years, and that money had really accumulated to a large amount. He said something really horrible to his wife. He said, honey, I've worked hard for this, and what I want you to do when I pass away is I want you to put this box with all this money into my casket. And she was a little bit taken back by that, and so she said, okay. And what she did uh, when he passed away was she counted up all that money. It took more than one box at that point, and it was a large amount of money. She got out her checkbook, and she wrote a check for the amount of money in, in that was in there, and then he put the check into the casket. Fairly, uh, fairly smooth woman there. But the truth is, we can't take it with us. But if we are generous in the things of God, guess what? We send it on ahead. 
Don't ask me to explain how those translate into rewards in the kingdom of heaven. We can have our best guesses. But I think we should just trust God when he says that your spiritual life is enhanced here by the joy of giving to what really matters. And ultimately, our spiritual life is enhanced then. And we are sending on blessings ahead that we will enjoy in some spiritual way that we can't fully grasp. That's why Jesus ends our, our, our passage today with these unerring, infallible words in verse 34 when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've got some dethroning to do, don't we? Because money... As honest as we can be, it competes for the allegiance in our heart. What a sorry thing to win out for money to be on the throne of your life. Have you, any of you ever memorized Proverbs 23, 5? It says, cast but a glance at riches, for surely they will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. <laughs> Have you ever looked at your wallet and thought you had this much in there and you open it up and you got a couple of bones look, staring back at you and you're going, what happened to it? When I ever ask that question, I think of that verse and I say, oh yeah, those dollar bills, they had wings on them <laughs> and they flew away. And Christ is saying, don't place your hope in something so futile. Let Christ be your treasure. And that's the last principle, B under number three. Aim for Christ to always be your treasure. One of the prayers you can begin to pray is, Lord, help me treasure you above all else. And Lord, help me be acutely aware of things that are vying for allegiance in my heart. Help me not love status. Help me not love appearance. Help me not love the stuff of this world. Living God, I want you to be my treasure. We're going to enter into a word of prayer, a time of response in our hearts, whether you're viewing at home or whether you're here. And I want to challenge you about considering having a heart of peace with this question, is Christ your treasure? One of the ways that you answer that question is by asking yourself, first and foremost, do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? Maybe you've kind of come in here or tuned in today because all this mask and pandemic stuff has really got you thinking about eternity. And maybe you're not really sure if you've truly have a relationship with God, I want to encourage you today to simply turn from sin by repenting from sin and place your faith in Christ alone. Christ died for you. He loves you. He rose from the dead to prove his love for you. And if you will turn from sin, he wants to give you the gift of the kingdom. He is pleased today. He's delighted to give you the gift of eternal life. That's sort of the first way that you know if you treasure Christ above all else, is do you know him personally? But I'll also say a word to believers who know Christ, maybe been a part of this church for years. Is something choking your spiritual life? Are you allowing some area of worry, of anxiety to crush you? Uh, is Christ your treasure? Are you holding on to the things of earth and, and not being generous toward Christ? I'd like you to ask the Lord to search your heart today. As we take a moment and bow together and enter into a time of response, we're going to respond. Normally, we'd respond to this church by coming forward, but today we're simply going to make a response in our heart. Matter of fact, if you have never called upon the name of the Lord and personally received Christ, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved 
It's not words that come from our mouth that save us. It's our faith in Christ that saves us. But we often express our faith through words, through prayer. I'd like to encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ today, to simply in your heart say something to the Lord like this. Lord, come into my life. I turn from my sin and place my faith in you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you're praying that prayer online, I'm sure there's ways to indicate that decision to those who are monitoring our online viewing today. If there's not, you can simply email someone from the Hoffmantown website and they would love to get with you soon about what it means to know Christ. Heavenly Father, we do pray that the gospel would go forth. We also pray for our hearts. Help us quickly give every single one of our worries to you. Help us always remember that you have delighted to give us the kingdom. And may we live lives that demonstrate through our generosity that you are our treasure. Thank you for your word today. May it change our lives all week long. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'd like to thank you for joining us here today. Your elders, your pastoral staff are so thankful that you've joined us online or here in this building. Uh, remember, you can check the website for other things going on in our church. Remember the announcements that you heard. It's been a joy to be with you today. And uh, Pastor Gregory asked me to simply let you know at this time that we're thankful that you've come and you're dismissed. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you.